14. Romans 14. Continuing our study here through the book of Romans. Uh, been a few weeks since we've been in Romans. Richard uh, filled in for me last week while we were having the baby, and then the week before that was Easter. So it's been a few weeks since we've been able to get back into Romans. Uh, excited what God has to say this morning. So a couple quick things here, just a quick reminder, and I know you've heard this, I think every study in Romans thus far. First eight chapters of Romans lays the groundwork of theology, of sin, salvation, of heaven and hell, and of Jesus being the only way. Romans 9, 10, and 11 uses the example of Israel and us when it comes to sin and salvation and being saved. And then from chapters 12 and on, it's all application. How do you apply this now? How do you live this in this world? So Romans 14, if we had time and time was unlimited, it'd be really great to do all of 14 in the first half of chapter 15 because it really flows together really nicely. Time does not permit us to do that, so we're only going to do the first section of chapter 14. And I'm going to be honest, this is a tough message. And it's not that it's tough theology-wise. It's really quite simple. It's the application that's tough. Because what we're going to learn about this morning is something that we like to call, I guess, personal convictions. Something that I feel is okay for me, but you don't feel it's okay for you. Or something that I don't think is right, but you think is okay for you. So we get into these little arguments and disagreements on it. Hence the term personal convictions. Look at verse 1 here, Romans 14. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. Basically, don't have arguments over little things that really don't matter. You know, what's an example of this? Well, I hesitate to give examples because I've noticed that anytime you give an example, you open up a can of worms. Because as soon as you say, let's talk about one of these things that don't matter, somebody in the congregation says, well, that's really important to me. So I asked Dawn this morning before I left, and she was up with the baby. I said, can I use you and I, an example for personal convictions and everything? And she said, yes. So every example I use is just going to be between Dawn and I, and you can see the beauty of our marriage, of how it looks good on the outside, but on the inside. What's an example of this? Of where one agrees with one thing, one doesn't. Well, you've heard me use this example before. An example of Christmas trees. I love Christmas trees. I think they're wonderful. I think they're beautiful. I just absolutely love the glow of them. I love everything about it. Dawn, who I nicknamed Joy Stealer, she hates Christmas trees. She, she honestly does not like them. That's her personal choice. She's traced back the, the origins of it, she says, and the paganness and all that. And that's her choice. So we don't have a Christmas tree up at our house. We have, we have a little manger up at our house to, to focus on Jesus with lights and stuff, but we don't do Christmas trees. So I absolutely love them. I just think they're wonderful. I think they're beautiful. And after I usually give a message about this, someone comes up to me afterwards usually says, well, you know, Christmas tree has Christian tradition too. The lights represent Jesus, the light of the world. The evergreen means he lives forever. And I usually nod and say yes, but the truth of the matter is I'm a heathen. I don't care. I just love Christmas trees. I think they're beautiful. <laughs> Dawn doesn't. And, and so in all seriousness, we, we don't. I respect that fact that that's not something that she really gets into, nor does she want. And so we respect that, and we let it go. We obviously disagree with them. I don't think there's anything wrong with them. She just doesn't really like them. We just had uh, Rich and I last fall went over to someone's house to pray over them, and we walked in, and they had this Christmas tree, and it was just beautiful, just absolutely gorgeous. And I literally, you just stand there in all of it, just that warmth and that glow. And I go home angry saying, Dawn, you're a heathen. You know, that's what I say, but... Actually, I don't even have to pick on her because look what the word says here. I'm taking this right out of the Bible, verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith. <laughs> I see the big picture. She doesn't. That makes her weak in the faith. So I'm okay with that. <laughs> don't argue with Scripture, people. Don't argue with Scripture. 
the, the point is, but look at the last part of verse 1, but not to dispute over doubtful things. There's a lot of little things in life that just don't matter. And so what I like to do, and I don't even remember where I first heard this from, I like to give credit where credit's due, and I, and I can't remember, but I heard it from a teaching, where he talked about a three-level pyramid. And I've shared this with you before. And on this three-level pyramid, you have different levels of things in Christianity. The bottom level is your foundation. These are things that you cannot compromise on, you cannot bend on, you cannot change. Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. Jesus was sinless. He was God. He was man. Virgin birth. The Bible being true. You can't bend on those things. Those are just foundational truths that if we cannot agree on those foundational truths, we cannot call each other brothers and sisters in the Lord. Those are foundation. We can't bend on that. The next level up is stuff that you could look in the Bible and you can say, you know what, I see the Bible teaching this point. And the person can say, well, I see the scriptures teaching this point. And, and you can almost agree to disagree. An example of this is, uh, say, the rapture of the church. You know, I know people that believe in pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib rapture of the church. In fact, I have a, a Christian brother in the Lord that was instrumental when I first got saved of mentoring me and just being a great godly example. And him and I don't see eye to eye on the rapture of the church. We agree to disagree. He shared his verses. I've shared my verses. I don't doubt his salvation. I don't doubt his love for the Lord. But it's not on that bottom level. It's on the next level up. We, we can let that go. The top level is just the peak. And these are the little tiny things that just don't matter. These are the things that we're talking about today. I don't want anybody to walk away from this message saying, well, James is saying just let those fundamentals go. No, I'm not saying that at all. If sin is sin, we call it sin. But this top little part of the pyramid, the doubtful things, it's best just to let those things go. It's best to realize then the whole scheme of eternity, that stuff doesn't matter. The vitalness is who is Jesus? What is salvation? Heaven and hell, are you saved or not saved? That's the bottom foundation, and that's the most important thing. Look at verse 2. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let him who does not eat judge him from who eats, for God has received him. What we're talking about here are dietary laws of the Jews that they had. They had certain animals that were considered unclean, and so what happened was Jesus in the book of Acts appeared to Peter and said all things are okay now. Those kosher laws are out the window. Well, what Paul is saying here is, you know what? You still got some people in your group that says, nope, nope, I think we should only eat this. And you got some people in your group that says, you can eat whatever you want. Paul says, let it go. Because it's not worth arguing about. If you think that you don't only eat vegetables, then just eat vegetables. If you say a pork chop is good, then you go enjoy your pork chop. Don't push your convictions on me, and I don't push my convictions on you. That's what he's saying here in verses 3 and 4. Now, that sounds really simple, doesn't it? Problem is, I know I'm right and I know you're wrong. So therefore, it's hard for me to just let it go. One of my little phrases that I love out here is you pray it, excuse me, you say it, then you pray it. You say it once, and then you just let it go in prayer. And you have to say, okay, I don't see what they're seeing. I don't think that's something that's good. So if you feel led by the Lord, you go tell them that, and then you let it go. They want vegetables, let them eat only vegetables. You want to eat your pork chop, eat only your pork chop. Just let the rest of it go. But the problem is, once again, I know I'm right, I know you're wrong, and the thing is, you need to know you're wrong too. Well, what do we do about this? Verse 4, who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be able to make stand, for God is able to make him stand. Verse 4, who are you to judge? Look at the last part of verse 4. God is able to make him stand. God says, I'll take care of it. You say it, you pray it, then you let the Lord work on their heart. 
Problem is God's not working fast enough on some people's hearts, right? So I need to say it again and again and again. No, you don't. You say it, you pray, and you let it go. Remember, John 14, verses 6 through 8, says it's the Holy Spirit that convicts the world. It doesn't say that James convicts the world. And so I need to trust that the Holy Spirit will convict those things. And note the context once again. The context of this passage is not the fundamentals. If someone comes and says, James, I'm having a hard time with my neighbor, I'm going to go beat him up. I don't know if that's where you feel the Lord's leading you. Go. No, that's wrong. The Bible says that's wrong. We're dealing with the top part of the pyramid. The top part. Say it, pray it, let it go. The Holy Spirit is the one that convicts. To give an example of this, verses 5 through 6, one person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each fully be convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord. He who gives God thanks, he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat, and gives God thanks. He uses some examples here. One day he talks about is esteeming one day better than another. Every now and then when we talk about the Sabbath, how people come up to me after church, and they'll say something about how they still feel that we should honor the Sabbath. And that kind of creates this whole mess sometimes. Of the Ten Commandments, the only one not mentioned again in the New Testament is honor the Sabbath. Because Jesus said in the Gospels that he's Lord of the Sabbath. Every day is a holy day to the Lord. So I still have sometimes people come up to me saying, well, I still just don't think people should work on Sunday. My response to that is I work on Sunday. You know, my response is if you go out to eat, aren't you glad there's waiters and cooks working on Sunday? A lot of you are going to run to Walmart today. Aren't you glad someone's working on Sunday? And God forbid you have to go to the ER. Aren't you glad there's doctors and nurses on duty on Sundays? So I understand about not working on Sundays. And so everybody has a family day. And I, that's the way I call it. So I try to take my family day on, on Friday. I try to take some Thursday evening and Friday and say, okay, I'm just going to focus on the family. Rich can take care of the church. And I'll just focus on the family. You need that one day for the family type thing. And I think everybody should have that. Some of your work schedules, maybe you work over the weekend and your time off is a Monday and a Tuesday. I don't know. Everybody's different. And to be honest, Sabbath is actually sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. Now, there are some denominations and groups that feel very, very strongly about that. And you know what? That's their choice. If they want to have their church service sundown Friday to sundown Saturday sometime, According to Romans 14, verses 5 and 6, that's their choice. But don't tell me I'm wrong for meeting on a Sunday morning. And I'm not going to go to you and try to convince you of the other. It's your choice. We, that's the personal part about this. Verse 5, one person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. The part about this that, once again, is frustrating and tough is I want my mind to be your mind. And sometimes we're just not going to see the same example of that. The three scariest words in the English language are, I just think. doesn't matter what we think. Sometimes we have to get back to what the Scripture says. And is it scriptural? I mean, can you find the black and white that says it is wrong? Well, then that's one of those foundational verses. But a lot of these little issues that are the top of the pyramid, verse 1, the doubtful things, God says you just got to let it go. Boy, that's hard to do sometimes. But if you don't let it go, you'll spend all your life trying to look at other people. 
I've run into Christians that spend their whole life trying to point out the faults in other believers. Boy, what a, what a joy-stealing life that is. Because you're never going to find somebody that doesn't have a problem in their life. There's always going to be somebody that has something wrong. And we can't allow those things to get to us. The Holy Spirit is one that convicts. Does this mean we let these things go? Well, no. There are certain times you have to put your foot down. I use this example. You may have certain choices in your life that I may not necessarily agree with. They're neither right nor wrong. But for me, I would say I feel convicted that I I don't want to do it. You may say, "I, I think it's okay. And that's fine. You may then come out to church and say, you know what? I want to serve. I want to serve with the youth. And I say, hey, that's great if the Lord's leading you to serve with the youth. But you know what I'll do at that point? I'll say, you know what, though? There's a few things I see in your life that I'm not a real fan of. And, this is, and if you're going to be around the youth, I don't want that to influence them. And I don't have a problem saying, you know what? You've got to watch what you say. You've got to watch what you do because you're setting a godly example to these youth, to this family, this whatever. I don't have a problem saying that. I'm not pushing convictions. I'm saying now in an area of ministry and service, there's a higher standard set. And if we're going to be around the kids, we've got to watch what we're saying and watch what we're doing. There's a time where you can say those type of things. But there's a lot of times in life where you just see problems popping up. And oh my goodness, that can be tough. We used to have a Friday study that used to meet in our, um, our house. And it was, it was a wonderful blessing. It started out as like a little college ministry. And it was a very eclectic group of people. We had Lutherans, we had Methodists, we had Baptists, we had Pentecostal, we had Mennonite. We had this huge group of people that would get together. And as you would get together, it was really neat to see everybody come together for the Lord. But every now and then, you'd run into one of these little topics that you could see the little division popping up. And I remember one time, the subject of music came up. And there were some people that said, well, you know, they listen to secular music. Well, some other people popped up and said, secular music? No, no, we don't listen to secular music. We only listen to contemporary Christian music. Then I remember somebody came in from a distinct denomination. They came in and said, contemporary Christian music? He goes, that's all wrong. It's only praise and worship. It has to be only praise and worship. And right there is the personal convictions that are coming out. If that person feels that he or she should only listen to praise and worship, that is her choice. If the other people feel contemporary Christian music is okay, that's their choice. I remember when I first got saved, and boy, oh boy, I was not a fun person around, fun person to be around when I first got saved. You become very legalistic, you become very black and white, and I remember distinctly one time for a church event, I had to go over to someone's house. I think Jim sent me over to do something, and I went over to someone's house, they were working outside. Here I was, a new Christian, and everything was so black and white, you know, this is what you do, you only listen to this, you only watch this. And I remember I went over to them, and Jim asked me to do something, I walked outside, they were working, they had their radio on. And you know what they were listening to? WNDH. And I sat there and I thought, oh my goodness, I thought this person was strong in the Lord. I thought this person had a strong walk. And here they are listening to 103.1 WNDH. I'm not getting paid to say that. But I just want to let you know. And I walked away from that thinking, my, my whole thought process of that person just started going down. And then I remember the Lord said, James, James, let it go. And I started realizing at that point, how easy it is to take these little things and start making them big things. How easy it is to take those things that aren't foundational truths and start creating your own theology and your own doctrine over what is right and wrong, and this is what a Christian is. Well, biblically speaking, what is a Christian? A Christian is someone who's accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. 
Remember when uh, Philip was talking to the Ethiopian in Acts, Sir, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. The simplicity of Jesus, as Corinthians calls it. Now, the problem that we have today is, yes, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is how you talk, this is how you walk, this is what you eat, this is what you wear, and this is what you watch, this is what you listen to. And once you meet all those requirements, we'll let you be a Christian. Truth of the matter is, we're at different levels sometimes in our Christian walk. Sometimes we'll have somebody recently get saved, and they're excited about the Lord. And they're in this process. The, the 25 cent word is called sanctification process. Where they're, they're going deeper in their relationship with Jesus. Someone will come up to me and say, Hey, did you hear so-and-so got saved? I said, Yeah, it's pretty neat to see what God's doing in his life or her life. And they would say, Yeah, it's neat that they're a Christian. Silence for a second. Do you hear some of the words they're still saying, though? I, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Uh, did you see that, that shirt they wore at church the other day? Yeah, yeah, I saw that. And, and what happens is someone gets saved and we expect them to be perfect, just like that. I'm telling you right now, I, I've been saved for 19 years. I'm not even close to that. And I, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I know who said that. <laughs> and because of pastor confidentiality, I will not share what they've shared with me. So, <laughs> No. But, but we're not. And so sometimes we have this little mindset of once someone gets saved, that all of a sudden, those things change. I remember when I first got saved, there was something I, I really enjoyed, I really liked. And I remember telling a gal that was really instrumental in my walk with the Lord. I remember telling her specifically, say, I'm, I'm never giving that up. Three, four months later, I was ready to give that up. As you go deep in your walk with Christ, you start realizing those things that you can never let go of start to become not as important. The things of this world... Go strangely dim, as the song says. And so what happens is, as you go deeper in your walk with the Lord, those things don't matter as much, and you start, as the Bible uses the term, becoming sanctified. So you get that process of being more Christ-like. The word sanctification just means set apart. You're just set apart for the Lord. And therefore, there's the process of being sanctified, and there's also the event. So when I get saved... I'm saved. I'm in heaven with Christ. Amen. But then the rest of my walk on this world is me becoming more Christ-like in what I do and say. Sometimes it's easy. Some of you have struggled with many things in your life. And I've heard people's testimonies that maybe struggled with, say, for example, drinking. And they get saved, and they get saved on a Saturday, and they gave up booze on a Sunday. Amen. I've heard people get saved on a Saturday, and five years later, they're still struggling. So just because it was simple and easy for you doesn't mean it's simple and easy for everybody else. And what happens, we become very legalistic. Well, when I got saved, I quit cussing that moment. Well, you're perfect. I'm not. Let it go. You know? And what happens is we're in this process, and what we have to realize is, verse 7, none of us lives to himself. No one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And for this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. What it comes down to, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And so therefore, verses 7, 8, and 9 is, I live for Christ. I don't live for me. I don't live for your morals and your standards. I live for the biblical principles laid out in the Bible that Jesus did. 
I live for him. So I live to myself, verse 7. I die to myself, verse 7. Verse 8, everything I do, be it living or dying, I am the Lord's. And so therefore, verse 9, it's all about Christ. Well, I cannot stress that enough. I even put in my notes here on big capital letters. That's all that matters. It's the foundational truth of whether you're saved or not saved. Just be honest with yourself. How many times have you, your spouse, your family, your coworkers, whoever it is, have you gotten into a little spit about something that's on the top of the pyramid? It just doesn't matter. Let it go. It's the foundational truths of do you know Jesus or do you not know Jesus? That's the foundational truths that matter. That's what it comes back to in verse 9. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Is do you know Jesus or do you not know Jesus? That is all that matters. And we can let the doubtful things go. Now, easier said than done. Verse 10. Why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. My goodness, as Christians, we're worse than the world when it comes to being judgmental. We are so picky about everything. We're horrible at that. We have this little pecking order in Christianity. And it's kind of interesting. Dawn and I have have chickens at home, and we just got some new ones. So it's really interesting to see the actual pecking order come out. So we got these two. We We got three, I should say. One rooster and two hens. And the rooster is at the bottom of the pecking order. And not bad, not horrific, but a lot of his feathers from about here to about here has been pecked off. Now, the rooster is supposed to be the one in charge, but the hens have overtaken. Now, that's a whole other teaching for another day, and I don't want to get into that right now. (laughs) But I'm just telling you, the hens took over. And this is what happens in Christianity. We have a pecking order. Well, that, that, that person's stronger than me, so therefore they can say what to do. Oh, I'm stronger than that person. Oh, I'm deeper. I know more verses. I'm a better singer. I'm a better leader. Oh, come on. Who, who are we? Look at verse 10. Why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We, we all are going to stand before the Lord. We all are. There is nobody higher, lower, greater, better, etc., And we're going to get to that in a little bit, but we're all going to stand before the Lord. Now, it's important to note this judgment seat of Christ, because this leads to some confusion. So just bear with me for a second as we just lay this foundation. For you that were with us with the Revelation study, you know we just went over this not too long ago. In Revelation 19, there's something called the Great White Throne Judgment. The Great White Throne Judgment is where all non-believers go when they die. They will stand before God and they will be sentenced to hell. That's the great white throne judgment. All non-believers go there, sentenced to hell. Judgment seat of Christ, there in verse 10, this is where all believers go. And when you go stand before the Lord in the judgment seat of Christ, you are not being judged on your salvation, heaven and hell. You're being judged on the phrase I like to use, your job performance. As God gave you opportunities and years down here on this earth, how did you use that for him? That's what you're being judged on. This is not a judgment of salvation. Great white throne judgment, Non-believers being sent to hell. Judgment seat of Christ, only believers. Your salvation is not being judged. Jesus already took care of that on the cross. You're now being asked, what did you do with the years that God gave you on this earth? Verse 11, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Look at verse 12, this is key. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. That's what it is. 
Lord, I will give an account of how I lived my life for you. With the opportunities that you gave me, did I use them to further the kingdom? Did I use them to take my family deeper in the Lord? Did I use them to help the church expand the kingdom for God? I will give an account of what I did in my life to God. And at that point, I will be rewarded for that. 1 Corinthians 3 goes into more detail of that if you want to further study. Verse 13, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or to cause to fall in our brother's way. So basically what Paul is saying here in verse 13 is, listen, let the little things go. It's not worth it. It's not worth it to get in an argument over this type of stuff. Just, just let it go. You feel that strongly about it, just keep praying for them. Pray that the Holy Spirit will just convict them and show them the truth. If God opens the door, say something, but then just pray about it. Because sometimes we've got to let those things go. And then we've got to look at ourselves. Verse 13. Are we putting a stumbling block in front of somebody? Are our actions causing someone else to go farther away from Christ than to go towards Him? The way we speak, the way we act, are those actions taking people away from the Lord and, and their depth and growth in the Lord? This is a tough verse in verse 13. Because what this means is sometime, as a body, I will let things go just because I don't want to have somebody else stumble in the Lord. I will allow personal freedoms that I have to let go, so therefore, people aren't bothered. We use that silly little example, funny example of Christmas tree, but you know what? I'll let it go. It's not that big a deal. We'll let it go. There's other things maybe are a little bit deeper. Let's talk about drinking for a second. What happens if you know somebody who has struggles with drinking? Well, the worst thing you can do as a Christian is invite them over to your house and say, Hey, want to come up and watch the game? Sure. Hey, you want a beer? No, don't put a stumbling block in front of them. What about gals? Usually it's gals, not guys. Gals, don't put a stumbling block in front of us by the way you wear your clothes. You know, we don't need that. Those are just little things that it's talking about here. Watching what you say, watching what you wear, watching what you drink, watching what you watch on television. Those are those little things you stop and say, you know what, I don't want to cause anybody to snubble, so I'm just going to back off from this for a little bit. I, I remember when we taught on this back to that Friday study one time, um, there was a, gal, a guy excuse me, that was um, pretty new to the Lord, and he heard this teaching. This made him irate. And I use that word, it made him irate. He was just so angry saying, you're telling me because somebody else struggles with this that I need to stop it when I'm around them just because they can't handle it. Yeah. You love them enough to say, I will let that go for that half hour, that hour I'm with you because I don't want to see you stumble. And you know what? I love you enough that whatever you're struggling with, I'll try to watch what I'm doing just to help you out. That's the whole point of the body of Christ. I love you enough to say, I want to see you go deeper in the Lord, and you love me enough to say, I want to see you go deeper in the Lord. That's what it is. And so sometimes we let things go. Top part of the pyramid, it's just not worth it. Bottom part, foundational truths of Christianity, we don't bend, we don't break, we don't compromise. But the top stuff, boy, sometimes you just got to let it go. Let's finish this up. Can you go to Matthew 25, please? Matthew 25. What I want to finish with here is this idea of the judgment seat of Christ and that we all have to give an account to the Lord for our actions and the responsibilities that we have. Matthew 25, please. This is a very famous parable, parable of the talents. And as you read through this real quick, that word talent, in our English language, we think of talents, we think of abilities. 
the word talent back here during the biblical times is more of an idea of, uh, it's a sum of money. That's a f- term that they use for a sum of money. But the purpose of this parable is talking about the talents and abilities that God has given us. So let's talk about this. Verse 14 of Matthew 25. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went out on a journey. Verse 16, the one that had five traded got five. Verse 17, the one that had two got two more. Verse 18, but he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. So that's the background right there. One guy got five, he traded, he gets five more. One guy got two, he traded, he gets two more. The one guy just takes his and buries it. Each one got something according to their own ability. We all have different abilities in the body of Christ. One is not better than another. One is not more important than another. That's not. So often we judge everything on numbers. Well, you know, that church only has 20 people, so therefore that's obviously something's not going right there. No. Well, that church has lots of people. Obviously something's going right there. I've seen churches that are huge. I would not step foot in that door. And I've met pastors that have a congregation of 10, 20 people, and man, those guys love the Lord. They really do. At the last pastor's conference, I was talking to a pastor, um, during one of the breaks, and his church size is, he has a congregation of 18,000 people. 18,000 people. So basically, you'd have like all of Henry County and Fulton County, you know. And you sit there and you stop and you say, okay, that's the guy that was given the five talents. He's got more spiritual responsibility. Doesn't make him any better in the kingdom of God. Doesn't make him any more important to Jesus. But more responsibility was given to him. And that's what this parable is talking about, is whatever responsibility God gave you, it may be one, two, or five. God says, are you going to honor me with it? See what happens. Verse 19, after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you've delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Verse 22, he who also had received two talents came and said, Lord, look, he delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now, I find this fascinating. The guy that had five got five. The guy that had two got two. But look at the response in verses 21 and 23. The exact same response. See, What did the guy with five do? He got five, which is what? 100%. The guy with two got two, which is 100%. See, the only thing God cares about is are you giving 100%. That's all that matters. If you're giving 100%, then God says, well done, good and faithful servant. Your baseline may be smaller than someone else's. You may have more spiritual responsibility than someone else. God says, I don't care. Just give me 100%. You may have very little spiritual responsibility. God says, I don't care. Give me 100%. So if it's a congregation of 10, you love those 10 people as best as you can. If it's a congregation of 1,000, you love those 1,000 people as best as you can. If you start up a study and one person shows up, you love that one person. That's the one that God gave you. One of the phrases we use a lot of time in, as a pastor is the word sheep is both singular and plural. You love the sheep. That sheep may be 1,000 sheep or maybe one sheep. You just love the sheep. So you may get up there and you may share something in a ministry in the back, 
Two people show up, you love them. 200 show up, you love them. It doesn't matter. It's not a competition on numbers. It is, did you give 100% of what God asked you to do? If you give 100%, five got five, two got two, then you get a chance to hear that wonderful phrase, well done, good and faithful servant. But look at the guy with one. Verse 24, then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed, and I was afraid. And went and hid your town in the ground. Look, there's what you have is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed, so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming out I would receive back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has more will be given and whom has abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wasted opportunity. See, the guy with one wasted his time and days to serve the master. This is what happens to us. And this is the point of the judgment seat of Christ. This is the point that I want to close with here. With the time and day that God has given you, are you giving 100% back to him? That's what it's coming down to. Because if not, you're going to be doing exactly what this guy did in verses 24 and 25. You're just going to be making excuses. Lord, I really wanted to get more involved with church, and I, you know I did. I, I wanted to start up devotionals, and as soon as I got to the Christian bookstore, I was going to get a great devotional. Uh, I wanted to spend more time serving. I wanted to spend more time in the Word. I always wanted to go talk to that neighbor. Just, just, just never worked out. No. A hundred percent effort. If we truly believe all that matters is Christ, back in Romans 14, I live for Christ, I die for Christ, and that's all that matters. One hundred percent effort for Him. And so the parable of the talents shows us what happens when you don't have that full effort for the Lord. So the judgment seat of Christ is there for us to say, Lord, I gave you 100%. Whatever years I have on this earth, I give to you 100%. And I'm not here to compare. I'm not here to say, Lord, why does she have more responsibility? Lord, why does things go better for him? No, with whatever talent you gave me, I just want to give you 100%. So therefore, when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, I can say, Lord, here. This is how I served you. That's all that matters. Now, bringing this full circle... If you spend all your time worrying and wondering what everybody's doing on the top part of the pyramid, you've got no time left to serve the Lord. If your whole life is revolving around all the little things that people are doing, and can you believe they said that? Can you believe they did that? Don't they know this? You're not going to have any time to lay foundations in Jesus Christ. That's all that matters. And what this teaching today is supposed to show us is all that matters is the Lord, 100% effort for him, and all that we do and all that we say. Boy, oh boy, that's what we got to pray for. Lord, give us a heart to do that, to truly serve him with all that we say and all that we do. Marv, if you want to come forward here for the final song.